what we're going to see is commonly, and, and it used to be this way, and there were and there were reasons for it. You you might have heard a Baptist minister or or, or anybody saying it's it's Solomon is the right as the author. Period. Well, that's not true. It's partially true, but it's not true because Solomon wrote a good portion of the book of Proverbs, but there are other sections that the writer has brought together that do not reflect that it's Solomon. So let me give you an example. When we went through the first 21 and a half chapters, basically all of that was Solomon, except they were different. We saw that there were three different parts. We're getting ready to enter into a fourth part, and this fourth part is called the sayings of the wise. And we'll talk about who the wise are in a moment. But this is obviously somebody different than Solomon. And then later on, we're going to get into some Proverbs of Solomon that were compiled, the Scripture tells us, by the men of Hezekiah. So under King Hezekiah, these were some Proverbs of Solomon that were collected together and and, and placed with this book of Proverbs. And then later on, you're going to, in the last two chapters, you're going to read the words of Agur and Lemuel. And these, again, are two kings, and some folks have tried to make them into Solomon, but it's not Solomon. But does that mean it's not the Bible? No, it is not. That, that's, that's an inaccurate statement. It's still the Scripture. It's still God-breathed. It's still Holy Spirit-inspired. And it's still the Word of God for you and I today. And, and simply because it's not Solomon doesn't mean it's not the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And so I just wanted to point out to you that we're getting into some different sections here And and you're going to notice that there's a different writing style with this section of Proverbs. So, here's what I want you to see. First thing I want you to see is just uh, look with me, first of all, in your book, the sayings in chapters 22, verse 17 through 24, verse 34, were written by wise men other than Solomon. These sayings were written by wise men other than Solomon. Now, I want you to understand something. Here he is, the wisest man in the world. Why would he... First of all, before I say that, let me show you what the next point is. They were compiled either in his lifetime or later. The question is, why would he compile these, these Proverbs and add them to his Proverbs? Well, remember what we studied in the first 22 chapters. In the first 22 chapters, we saw the whole issue of how he said you and I were to seek wisdom, gain wisdom. So even though he's the wisest man and God gave him wisdom, he was constantly what? Seeking after understanding, seeking after wisdom. So it only made sense that in his searching, probably he read everything that was out there at that time. In his searching, he compiled together wisdom under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to present to you and I. And so that's what we see here. We see some wisdom that is provided to you and I concerning what these wise men are. Now, you're probably asking, now, who are the wise men? Who are the wise men? 
probably some writings of someone, maybe it's kings or whatever during that time, that they had a word of wisdom that was beyond anything else that was being written. And so Solomon, as he wrote it, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, grabbed a hold of the truths that they had and compiled them together. Okay? Compiled them together into these things. And so what we're going to see today is, we're going to start today, and we're going to work our way through these things over the next, today, next week, and the week after, is we're going to see 30 sayings of the wise. These are 30 sayings. 30 sayings of the wise. So let's, look, first of all, look at the introductory statement. We see it in verse 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. Okay, so let's go ahead and see what he says here. The sage gives an introductory call to pay attention with heart and mind. Now, a sage is a wise person. Okay, that, that's a term for a wise person. Someone who speaks wisdom. All right? Someone who speaks wisdom. So I want you to notice specifically what he's saying here. Look at what he says. He's telling you and I to incline our ear to the words of the wise. What are the words of the wise? What he's about to tell us. And why? So that you can apply your heart to the knowledge that he's imparting. So that you can apply your heart to the knowledge that he is about to impart to you. See, here's the thing. In fact, this gives us a good focus for how you and I should approach coming to church in, in period. Now, let me just qualify that. Church is a group of people, but coming to the services or coming to the teaching time. You and I, when we come, we need to not just hear with our ears whatever is taught. We need to, what's the second part of the verse say? Incline our what to it? Our hearts. See, just simply hearing is not enough. You need to incline your what? You need to incline your heart to understand. See, because you can, you can have knowledge up here and have no understanding here. Everybody understand me? You can have knowledge up here in your head, in your brain, but have no understanding in your heart. And the, the absence of who you are. And so that's what he's trying to say is listen with your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. So now, listen, here's the motivation why we're to do this. Verses 18 through 21 gives us the motivation. First of all, look at verse 18. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you and let them all be fixed upon your lips. So here's what it's saying. It will give you a pleasing store of wisdom. It'll give you a pleasing store of wisdom. It'll be a pleasant thing for you to have wisdom, to have it ready there. So, and notice when it says it's on your lips, it's like you are ready to share wisdom with others. You know what I'm saying? You're ready to share wisdom with others. In fact, let me just stop for a moment. Here, you say, I don't know if, is that true? Yeah, listen to me for a second. I want you to think about your life. I want, we've got a lot of older folks here, folks like me who are getting old. And here we are. I want you to think about where you are right now. I want you to think about where you were 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And I want you to think about people coming to you seeking advice. At what point were you able to share advice? Back then or now? 
Yeah, a lot better now. Maybe you shared advice back then, but you have more wisdom when? Now. And see, you probably have more of a storehouse of wisdom now than you did back then. In fact, you realize now, like I do, you didn't know anything back then. In fact, you ever do this? I do this all the time. I even did this this week. It's time to get up, laying in bed, thinking about stuff. You know how you sometimes think about stuff? It's like, man, why am I thinking about this? So you start reflecting on your youth. Or you start reflecting on 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And in your mind, some incident happens that you haven't thought about in a long time. And you're thinking about how you handled that incident. And you're just shaking your head. How dumb was I? If I, would, if I could have that situation now, this is what I would do. But do you remember back then you didn't know any better? Why is it that now we look back and we say, oh, I wish we could do something different? Because now we have what? We've gained wisdom. Okay, so it's a pleasant store for you and I. Notice something here. Look at verse 19. So that your trust may be in the Lord, I have instructed to you today, even you. Here's the point. There will be a deeper trust in the Lord. When you and I gain wisdom and seek after wisdom, what it's going to produce in you and I is a deeper trust in God. So let me just stop for a moment because... This can tell us that there are two motivations for gaining wisdom, and we need to have the right motivation. You can be motivated to seek wisdom simply for yourself. So that you look good, and that you have wisdom, and you have knowledge, and it's for no other motivation other than self. That's a wrong motive. And some people do that. Some people will strive for education just simply so that they can say that they're better than others. So that they can say they're better than others. But does that necessarily make them wise? No, I would say they're not wise because their whole motivation is wrong. See, the second motivation is what we see here in the Scripture, is that I seek wisdom, I seek understanding, so that I can develop what? That, that there will be a deeper trust in the Lord in my life. That's true wisdom. That's true wisdom. So then notice now the issue of reliability. Look at verse 20 and 21. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you? Here's what he's saying. There will be a grasp of truth so that one can teach wisdom. See, if you listen to what he's saying to you, if you apply the Word of God to your life, there will be a grasp of truth and you'll be able to share that with others. So listen, let me just stop for a moment. I'm going to make a point here. You and I need to be men and women of the Word of God. You and I need to have God's Word in our life. Because true wisdom comes from where? CNN? Fox News, PBS, Leonard Nimoy. You know, where does true wisdom come from? From God. And, and, and what has God communicated to us? With 
Is he going to communicate to you with a vision? No, he's already given it to you, the Word of God. So the important thing is for you to read the Word of God. Now, let me just stop. I'm going to give you a practical note here. If the Bible you're reading, you can't read, get another Bible. If the Bible you're reading, you can't read, get another Bible. What am I saying? If you want your young people, or if you're sitting here and you can't read the Bible you got, and you want to read something, then get another Bible. Do you see my point? I want you to understand the importance of reading the Word of God. Why? Because this is the reason why. There will be a grasp of truth that you can share with others. Go back one more verse. There will be a deeper trust in the Lord. Because you've read the Word of God. Alright, so here's the motivation. The motivation is for wisdom. The motivation is for trust in the Lord. The motivation is because it's reliable. The wisdom is reliable. So now let's get into the sayings. We're going to look at the first ten sayings today. First of all, look with me at the first saying, verses 22 to 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. Here's the first saying. It's concerning the treatment of the poor. We are not to oppress the poor because the Lord avenges them. We are not to oppress the poor because the Lord avenges them. The Lord is going to avenge them. The Lord is going to take care of them. He's going to have retribution when we oppress the poor. And look, all you've got to do is just look around you and see that, first of all, the oppression of the poor, does everybody recognize, does take place? Even in this country, it does take place. The oppression of the poor does take place. And But here's the thing I want you to see is God says He will be the one to avenge them. He will bring retribution to them. You say, well, I don't see that happening now. Well, again, we're looking at it from our time perspective. We need to look at it from God's time perspective. He will ultimately deal with it. Let's go on now. The, uh, the issue of associations, dangerous associations. Look with me at verse 24 and 25. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Here's the point I want you to see. Avoid associating with a hothead because his influence can prove fatal. Don't hang out with a hothead. First of all, everybody know what a hothead is? It's not somebody with a fever. Everybody know what a hothead is? A hothead is... Somebody describe me. What's a hothead? Somebody who gets angry at a snap of a finger. Okay? Anybody else want to add to that? He's got a short fuse, right? What's that? Loses his temper all the time, Mabel says. Okay? How many of you know somebody like that? Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. I won't ask you to raise your hand. How many of you hang out with people like that? Now, here's what he's saying. I want you to look, 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 look at me. Look at what the Word of God is saying here. Look at me. First of all, it's, it's giving you a word of wisdom here. Look at me. Verse 24. It says two things. Make no friendship with that person. Well, who's going to reach them? 
Look, I need to. I, I want to deal with that for a moment. You can't reach everybody. Does everybody understand me? And sometimes you need to consider someone else. Who? You. Because that's the point of these proverbs. That's the point of these proverbs. The proverb is saying, don't make friendship with them. Don't be friends with these people. In fact, it goes one step further. It says this. Look with verse 24. And with a furious man, do not go. That is, don't go with them. Don't live your life with them. Don't hang out with them. Don't make them a part of your lives. Why? Now, again, isn't it wonderful? The Bible will always tell you why not to do something. Look now at verse 25. Lest you learn his ways, lest you become like him. Here's what happens. The reason why, and I want you to understand something, it's not a good enough excuse to say, well, who's going to reach them? That's not the point. The point is, the Bible says, don't hang out with them because you'll become like them. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're going to become like them. So here you are, you're my own unique, and you hang out with a hothead. Sooner or later, guess what? You become a hothead. You become just like them. Your fuse is all of a sudden short. Why? Because they rub off on you. Have you noticed that? People will rub off on you. So you need to make some decisions there. And notice something else there. And set a snare for your soul. Here's what he's saying. He's going to take it one step further and say, not just because you're going to be influenced, because it's going to be detrimental to your spiritual life. To your spiritual life. See, over and over in the Bible, let me just go ahead and say this right now. This is the issue of a hothead. But you need to be very careful about who you associate with. Because they will drag you down. You very rarely will bring them up to your level. Does everybody understand me? Very rarely will you bring them up to your level. Very rarely. The point is, I want you to see is that you and I are not to associate with people that are going to bring us down, especially a hothead. You understand? You and I are not to associate with people because it will bring us down. Let's go on. Verse 26 and 27. The issue of vows, rash vows. Look at verse 26. Do not be one of those who shakes his hand in a pledge and one of those who is a surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? Pretty good. Listen to what he's saying here. Don't foolishly pledge what you have. You could lose it. Here's the point. And Solomon's using the illustration of debt. Co-signing is what we call it in our thing. Putting a pledge up, shaking a hand and pledge. He's saying, if you don't have it to give, then don't pledge it. Because they may very well come and take the very bed out from underneath you. Here, here, here's the point. This, we don't have to worry about somebody stealing our bed. But they may very well come and take your house. Aren't we seeing that today on the news? And can I be honest with you, whose fault is it? And in the bank, they lent you the money. Whose fault is it? Yeah, ours. The ones who put our names on the line. It's saying, be wise. Here's the thing. Don't make a rash vow. 
And especially, can I be honest with you, the thing of shaking a hand in surety and a pledge is don't make a rash vow, not just for yourself. Specifically, the verses are talking about you making a rash vow for somebody else. Do you understand? And here's why. Because that somebody else may not have your same values about money. That somebody else may not have your same values about things. See, this is what the point of the proverb is, is don't be rash. And here's how times we're, sometimes how we're rash. Listen to me, families. Mom and dad. Brother, sister. Our love will make us make lo- rash decisions. Our love will make us make rash decisions where we will bail somebody out. Well, let me ask you a question. Where's the stopping point in bailing out? When you figure it out, write the book. It'll be a bestseller because nobody knows the stopping point. Yeah, but it is never the next time. Yeah, you're right, Bruce. It's the next time. Next time I won't do this, but then they show up and they have a better story, a better need, and guess what? And you're becoming poor. You know? Listen to what the proverb says. Do not be one of those who shakes a hand in a pledge for one of those who is a surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? I mean, he is making a great point here. Be wise about your money. That's what we see here. Let's go on. The issue now of respect for property, verse 28. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. What does that mean? Here's what it's saying. The sage warns against appropriating somebody else's property by deceptive means. In fact, in our country, we have laws. You can't move boundary markers, can you? What happens if you remove a boundary marker? I mean, you can get in trouble, can't you? And and, and why, why do we have those kind of laws? Because people will move the ancient boundary stones. Because they want to what? Expand their property. See, this is what the this is what the sage is telling us here. He's telling us against taking somebody else's property by deceptive means. It doesn't have to be property, as in the sense of property. This is the example here, but it could be you taking away somebody else what they have by deceptive means for your purpose, for your use. Now look at now the benefit of skills, verse twenty nine. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Here's the point I want you to see. Skills skills earn recognition and reward of advancement. How far are you going to get in life if all you know how to do is dig a ditch? If you don't improve yourself, let me just stop for a moment because you're going to say, well, I don't really think I need to go to college. That is not what I'm saying. If you don't improve yourself, learn skills, you can learn them on the job, you can move up and get a better get a better position in a job. But if all you ever know how to do is just dig a ditch, guess what you're just going to be doing? Digging a ditch. Guess what you're going to be paid? Ditch digger wages. See, this is the point that the wise are saying here. They're saying that as you acquire skill, you'll be able to stand before those who are in authority. You won't stand before unknown men. Skill is what will bring you recognition and reward. Listen now, the caution before rulers. Here, he goes on now and he talks about caution before rulers. Verse 1 of chapter 23. 
When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. Put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Here's what I want you to see. Overindulgence with a ruler can ruin one's chances of advancement. It's saying be very careful when you're in the presence of somebody who's in control or who's a ruler. Because if you just become too chummy, guess what? Your chances are gone. In fact, that, in fact, he makes it very full. And so he invites you to dinner and, you know, maybe it's more than you've ever seen. It'd be like me going to dinner and the president brings out 10 cheeseburgers and shuts them in front of me. Okay? Or, or, or a Denny's big 15 pounder or whatever. Okay? And, and he says, go ahead, Georgie, to your content. Well, Solomon's saying, put a knife to your throat. Put a knife to your throat when you're with him. Because the overindulgence will affect you. It will earn you scorn rather than allowing you to earn influence. That's the point he wants you to see. All right, now look at verse 4 and 5. We're going to look at the issue of fleeting wealth. Okay, wait a minute, just stop for a minute before we read these verses. What is everybody in America striving for today? Mabel just said it, to be rich, to have more money. Why do we want more money? More security, more, buy more stuff. Yep. We want the people at Walmart to know us by name. You know, is that what, that's what it is. I mean, we laugh at that, but that's certainly true for some people, isn't it? Here's what it says. Look at verse 4 and 5. Do not overwork to be rich. Ooh. Because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes upon that which is not? Riches certainly make themselves wings. Then fly away like an eagle towards heaven. Here's what it says. Boy, listen to this. This is, this is a great verse. Do not wear yourself out trying to get rich because riches disappear quickly. He describes it as wings. Not just any old wings, not sparrow wings, but eagle's wings. It just takes off and it's gone. See, don't overwork yourself. Listen, here's the, this is the verse that families need to listen to. Because so many times we will destroy our families trying to what? Earn more money. And then we got the money, guess what? It's gone. And then guess what? You lose everything. Let's go on. We've got a couple more points here we need to make. Unpleasant hospitality. Look at verses 6 through 8. Do not eat bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The more so you have, the more so you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. What you say in here? Here's the point. First of all, a couple things. Number one, it is a mistake to accept hospitality from a stingy person. Boy, haven't you and I experienced this? You need some help. And so you go, let's say Bruce is real stingy. He's tight-fisted about his money. And you go over to Bruce and you say, Hey, Bruce, man, can you help me out with this? And, and he knows the Christian thing to do is what? 
help you out. But on the inside, yes. Proverbs is saying, don't get hospitality from a stingy person. Because as he is in his heart, so is he. In his heart, he doesn't want to give it to you. Which brings up the next point here. Notice what it says. The next thing I want you to see there, it says, his lack of sincerity will make for an unpleasant evening. Evening. He says, you'll want to vomit it up. So, here's the point. His lack of sincerity will what? You'll want to, here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs says if he, if he uses the example of a morsel of food, you know, so he gives me some bread, but his stinginess, who he really is, the evening will be so unpleasant that you'll just want to vomit it up and give it back to him. And, and, and if he's that stingy, he'll take it back. Do you see my point? I mean, and he'll make you pay. How many of you have had, they helped you out, but they make you pay for the fact that you gave it to them. So you give it back to them, you know, I got 20 from him, I give them back 100. And that doesn't even satisfy him. That's the point he's making here. Okay, now let's go on, two more verses. The fool in wisdom, look at verse 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Here's the point. It's a waste of time to try and teach a fool because he scorns wisdom. Listen, my friend, some of you are wasting a lot of time trying to communicate the same things over and over and over to people who will not listen to you. Save your breath. Move on to somebody else who will listen. Save your breath. And then finally, look at, the again, the respect for property, verse 10 through 11. Do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is mighty, and he will plead their cause against you. Here's what he's saying. The sage warns against trying to steal the property of the defenseless. So here you are, you're the big kahuna in the neighborhood, and you just kind of move your fences over a little bit onto the widow next door. That's what he's warning against. Why? Here's the point. The defenseless have a strong protector. Who? Yeah, God will avenge them in His time. In His time. Okay, those are the first ten sayings. Next week we will look at sayings 11 through 26. Okay, we're going to look at 15 sayings, 15 or 16 sayings next week.